Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we discuss gender confusion in children. What is gender confusion? Who does it affect? And how do we, as gospel people, lovingly care for these kids and their families? Let's get salted. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. My name is Dan. And we are episode number 31. 31 and this, and we are one third of the way to 100. I like it. Is that how we're measuring things? I like it, but I'm not sure that's right. If you do the math real quick. Don't worry about the math, everybody. 93. Math is irrelevant. 93 is it? 31 is a third of 93. We've really started strong. Um, (laughs) It's your math skills. Yes. Um, Well, we're going to talk about math today. No, we're not talking about math. We're going to talk about um, a, I guess, uh, to say the least, a hot button issue. Yeah. Uh, And it has to do with um, the, I guess, the the transgender conversation, but more specifically with um, how do we care for kids and interact with kids and families uh, who are gender confused or fall in that gender confused uh, camp. Right. And even though we know that statistically it would... Um, be very unlikely that anybody is going to deal directly with somebody who is gender, I guess, gender confused, right? right? Yeah. Um, so that's interesting, right? Yep. So then in some ways this helps us also think about how our culture is dealing with and viewing gender confused children as well. That's right. Yeah. Yep. yep. And it's probably all over your I mean, I guess I'm assuming it might be on your newsfeed. It may not be, but it seems yeah. to be the the raging culture war that's happening. But you know, as we want to kind of transcend the the media newsfeed, um, as we have people that we interact with and we want to represent the good news Jesus of Jesus well, how do we you know how do we interact with how do we love kids who are experiencing and love families and parents who are um, loving and uh, and also the people who are around that, you know, who right. are involved. There's professional clinicians and psychiatrists and school, s- psychologists. school psychologists and teachers. And yep. um, most of your kids probably, if they're in, in, in the school somewhere, they're probably interacting with a, a person who is uh, who's in this category of maybe gender confused. So um, so we'll look at um, we'll look at kind of what we even mean, like what do we even mean by it's such a big topic is probably a lot of things that we need to define. Yeah. Uh, we'll take a look at a couple different approaches to it. Um, and then obviously you'll tell us, um, some biblical uh, approaches to how do we maybe tr- salt the earth and transform yeah. it. So. And also this is a topic, you that I think we've agreed it isn't going away. We're not going to over time be able to look back and say, Hey, remember when this was all the rage, it seems like this has found its way into the fabric of our culture for a long time Uh, that's that's what i would anticipate so if this were like a something that's hot for a few months um and then we get a sense that it's just going to kind of um you know kind of wither away i think it'd be easy to ignore but this is the redefinition of gender and the redefinition of um um i think the family in 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 large part the redefinition of how you care for kids who are in distress right yep and and it layers on lots of stuff that we've already top, talked about in previous ep- episodes we can talk about i mean contemporary critical theory informs us we talk about how where's truth we talk we've talked a little bit about um like you said the family the nuclear family we even we haven't even specifically talked about the trans uh sexual or transgender conversation right but all of these things are kind of informative. Even, you know, we've talked about the, the we talked about like the gender binary and stuff and the fatherhood conversation and mm. stuff. So all of the, we've already talked about things that layer on top of this True. and kind of build a foundation. But we're going to specifically talk about, you know, kids and how do we interact with kids um, who are, who are experiencing this or in the midst of it. Yeah. How, how would you, let's start, you know, with uh, the very ba- basic question. What, what's the problem? What, what is the trouble that we're, seeing or sensing or experiencing in in the culture around this topic so i guess the i mean the brass tacks of it to get all the way down to it is that um there are i, I don't want to say two camps but there's probably two opposing sides that say um you know gender there is an alignment there between gender and sex so sex being the biological sex in which you are uh, your chromosomal sex, but then gender being the, uh, the, the way in which you experience yourself as a male or female 
including how masculine or feminine they feel, or even a spectrum or a consistent variation between or none of the above. Right? Okay. So that's kind of like the, the, the idea between biological sex and gender, gender being a social construct, one side would argue. And so now the question, so that's the foundational thing. Right. And then you know, the, the problem then becomes is um, who do you, how do you teach kids about what their gender is and how your gender aligns with your sex? And that's where the massive divergence happens. All right. So, so if I understand this correctly, you're saying that the reason it's a problem is because there are kids who say that uh, the gender, their gender assigned at birth, mm-hmm. right, their biological gender isn't, isn't um, aligning with their perceived or their, their biological sex isn't lining up with their biological or with their... <laughs> With their see this is where you know it yeah. is kind of their yeah. biological sex isn't lining up with their perceived gender. Correct. Yes. And yeah. so there's one camp would say that those two are distinct, and that gen- right. biology is and your sex is one thing, but then your gender is a social construct, and you can you there is a spectrum of genders or not even yeah. on the gender spectrum. Okay. And the other side says those the bio the your sex and your gender are the same, and they forever will be the same. Right. So so we hear a lot about gender identity. What's what. How can we better understand what that means? Yeah, so gender identity is simply how you experience yourself as a male or a female. Um, and that's including how masculine or feminine you feel. Ooh, based yep. on what cultural metric, I wonder if right. you have a beard. Yep. If you slay dragons. That's if right. you <laughs> swing a hammer yep. or an axe. Exactly. So there's so lots of things contribute to Play how with masculine or feminine sure. you feel. Yeah, of course. So, um and then there's another level. You, you go even down one more level, and this is kind of like the, um, this is where, the, like you said, the, we the gender dysphoria category is a clinical diagnosis, and that's why you said very few people kind of fit into this category. Yeah. But those are those are people who have a deep and abiding discomfort over the incongruence between one's biological sex and one's psychological and emotional experience of gender. Okay. So there's a disconnect between their biological sex and that gender identity, and it's connected really to the distress that that is causing that person. Okay, so when we take on this episode, what we're thinking is someone needs to talk about the biblical worldview related to this distress, this um, this dysphoria that's happening about one's sex and one's perceived gender. Correct, yes, yeah. and, and specifically and for kids who are kids. confused yes. between that. And so... Um, and so, yes, yeah, so as we're discussing this, we are talking about a couple different la- layers or people who, m- kids who might find themselves in different lanes. Like some people who would, there is a difference between someone who is diagnosed with gender dysphoria uh-huh. and then somebody who is maybe confused or identifying as uh, a member of the other gender, but they're not really in that deep level of distress oh, and clinical gotcha. dispre- distress that would that would categorize them in a gender dysphoria um, um, diagnosis. It makes me wonder if a student comes forward and asks to see a teacher on the side, or you can take it even as far as someone make an appointment with their school counselor. I have to assume that there's enough professionalism that the teacher or the school counselor is making these distinctions in their mind that what I'm hearing from the student who's telling me about this distress um, may have different, may be in, that it's possible that it's one of several layers. Right. Uh, Although what I've been perceiving in our culture is that there is a rush, and maybe not by the teacher and the the school uh, psychologist, or the school counselor, that there's a rush to get these kids all in the same category. Right. Right. Yeah. Now that's that's a probably a topic for another sure. uh, episode. But my perception is, if you're saying that there are gender confused, then there's transgender, gender dysphoria. You know, um, I mean, I just it, it, there's just it, so many. It seems like there's so many different terms yeah. and categories. And how do you even keep it straight? That, right. And do the um, professionals keep it straight? Right, are yeah. they or or, is, or can we acknowledge that there is a tribe that's advocating that categorize them all the same sure right yeah that's the and i think that's why what we're going to talk about is, is kind of of critical importance is because 
there are different categories, and they're they're kids, and we're dealing with and we, when we say kids, the the broad spectrum of kids from all the way from two to three year olds, all the way up to you know adolescent, all the way up to right sixteen, seventeen years old. Hmm. Um, and so people's you know there is a difference of um, if you've ever been around a kid, there's a difference from saying I like wearing dresses, and someone saying oh that person's gender dysphoric to yes. I have a deep seating. Um, suicidal ideations because I have a, there's a massive conflict b- between the way I view my brain views myself and yeah. the way my biology does not compute. Man, that sounds that. like such a critical distinction to make, right. doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you think about parents watching their little their little guy play with dolls, and in our culture, they could instinctively think, "Well, here we have it." Yep. Or you or or you could think, "No, this isn't anything other than here's a little guy who's playing with some toys." Right. right? Yep. So. Um, but we agree, no matter what, there is something that we agree with, our, we'll, we'll call it our secular culture, right? We agree that we need to care for kids who are gender confused. Right. We, yeah. have, we, we are in alignment with everybody and anybody, no matter what religious background, whether they're godly or godless, we are in agreement and solidarity that something needs to be done to care for these kids right. who are quote unquote gender confused. Correct. Yeah. And so I think probably as you're listening, we are again attempting to take the charitable approach to all of this in which the underlying differences are all rooted in the same belief that we want to care for these kids and we want to do what's best for them. Right. Um, and then from there, there are differences of opinion on what that actually means mm-hmm. based on worldview, based on the thing we started the show with, which is, you know, how do you even. Right. connect biological sex with gender are they the same are they different but, you know, so, so we can yeah. start in the same exact uh, um, we could in the same exact spot which is we want to care for gender confused kids right and then when we talk about what's best for them we can shoot into opposite directions a million miles away right yep yeah yep and so I think maybe maybe it's best to say well how many like what are we talking about? Like people who are gender confused. Yeah, who again, are more they? again more categories here for you. So it's, I mean, let's let's muddy the waters a little bit more. But the American Psychological Association says that the number of transsexual adults are zero point zero zero five to zero point zero one four percent for men. So it's very small. So if there's a thousand people, five of them. Right. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I think so. Um, and then 0.002 to 0.003% of women. Right. So, so in 1,000 women, it would be two to three women right. who uh, consider themselves right. transsexual. Yeah. And so that's the APA. So again, that's adults, right? So it's a, it's a small number. Um, but, then, but then you add the transgender umbrella, which is kind of obviously the term that is, uh, yeah. we're, we're familiar with. But that's an umbrella term for the many ways people experience a mis- mismatch between the gender identity and sex. Um, and the kind of the numbers might be closer to one in 215 to one in 300, which is somewhere between like 0.5 to 0.3%. Gotcha. Gotcha. Which is, you know, which is more. Yeah. Um, but it's still less than one half of a percent of the total population. So, um, so those would be the people you say, okay, well they are identifying as gender, what would be someone who's gender confused and they're what they would describe as their, their biology does not match their gender identity. This is the part of the statistics here that generate this question in me on which I've been really, really, uh, I'm just lost on what the answer is here for the most part. How would this, with this kind of low representation uh, or this low number, less than a half a percent, how in the world did these people who are advocating for gender confused kids or advocating for themselves as gender uh, mm-hmm. or trans adults, how in the world did they get the entire country's ear and attention? Yeah. I mean, what is driving this megaphone topic that it would have completely saturated into curriculums, university campus causes, and, and is it under maybe it's under the social justice umbrella? Or yeah. not that you have the answer to this question, but. I'm fascinated what other part of our population is under a half a percent who has the audience, has generated the audience that, right. it, that, that this now has. Yeah. I think it probably has a lot to do with, I mean, you can go listen to our 
five part episode on critical theory and like there's critical gender theory and uh, there's the, I mean, the critical studies. Theory, yeah, the, and, and so there's the intersectionality element of it which is kind of a, a continuation of the perceived civil rights movement that the LGBTQ community has you know kind of been fighting um, right okay and so I think maybe that's part of it and then um, and then again you a layer on the mainstream media and they're like right. hey, how do we get clicks and how do we how do we yeah. Foster resentment amongst right, each other. We'll, right. we'll highlight all these things that everybody's. Gotcha. Well, oh, that's a pretty good answer. Yeah. So follow the money, I guess. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, and there's, I mean, the more you dig into it, we like, we'll, we'll talk about later. But like, there's some decent money to be made in these in these medical yeah. transitions and these Amazing. sex hormone things. But so there's some opinions on this that are obviously we've already surfaced. But what 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 are the, how can we better understand the different opinions. Yeah, so the different opinions being, how do you start from the idea of, well, how do we best care for these kids, right? What are the different opinions to say, how do we best care for these kids? Because it doesn't matter what side of the um, the argument are you are on is whether or not you believe bio- biological sex and gender are the same or biological sex and gender are different. Um, there is no argument that there are people who experience gender dysphoria and a disconnect between those things. So. So it's not as if one side is saying this never exists. You're making this up. We all generally agree that this is this happens. So the question then becomes for kids, anywhere from age 13 to 18 or 17, it's like, what do you do? How do you best care for them? And so the one element, one side would say, you know, the people who agree with that the idea that gender is a social construct and distinct from sex, they would um, advocate for what they would call gender affirming care. Um, is and they would say that gender affirming care is of critical importance at a young age before puberty and mm-hmm. there, there, there's a big component of that is that you have to kind of it's weird when you say gender affirming care because they're not affirming that person's current gen- gender connected to biology they are affirming the identity of the gender in which the people think that they are right, the perceived as. Identity, yeah. yeah so they're affirming that and they're and they're saying and there's actually a, a kind of a, a four-part like care plan that so is they're not affirming the science. They're not. No, yeah, right. Are they denying the science? Yeah, well, I mean, sarcasm, knows, right? Yeah. Um, so, but they would say it's kind of critical to start this before um, puberty because, uh, as you know, as you know, the you know you are a medical doctor and a yes, expert totally. on puberty. That's correct. Um, your body changes a lot, and things happen in your body when when you go through puberty, um, and so you got to kind of do that. Start this transition. Um, into and affirm that gender before puberty. And here's there's four different things that you do. There's kind of four parts of this um, gender-affirming care to help care for these kids. The first one is you do a social transition. So that just simply means you give the child a new wardrobe, maybe mm. a new name, new pronouns, and generally treat the child as if he or she were the opposite sex. Oh, wow. Social transition is right. the beginning. Yeah, and you might have read about kind of, if you read the news and stuff like that, um, th- this is kind of what happens in schools where there's like some, there's like, there's like um like little stores or wardrobes that you're like hey if you if you if your parents don't affirm your new uh your sho- your social transition we'll affirm it here in the school you can come and you can put on you right. you, you live your your same you live your normal life at home then you come here and we'll as- affirm wow. your social transition gotcha. okay um so social transition is one and then um the older you get um you get the puberty blockers right so that is a we're we're now taking pharmaceutical intervention and that is a child is who's approaching puberty will placed on puberty blockers to prevent the normal process of maturation and development. Um, that means there's no more progression of the pubertal stage and a regression of sex characteristics that have already developed. Wow. So these, uh, these FDA approved, can someone just get a prescription and head down to the pharmacy? Yeah, I mean, you can't, they're not puberty blockers. And there's a, there's a couple bunch of different ones, but the main ones, they're not actually FDA approved for gender dysphoria. Wow. They're actually taken. It's an off-label. It's oh an off-label purpose wow. for them. So, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, and so if you get into it, there's a couple of them. I forget the name, but one of them is actually technically used for. Um, it's essentially like chemically castrating like inmates or something like mm. that. And so they take that and they give it to. Uh, that's one of the, the the puberty blockers. So wow. Um, and the and the, you know the the advocates of that saying is that they are you know you can you can actually. Um, you can turn it off and on like these puberty blockers. Like you Hmm. can say, Hey, we can, you know, we can, you can just, you can try it out, right? We're just going to, we're not going to, we're going to affirm your current sexual identity and we're going to stop that. We'll just, 
we'll stop the puberty so that you can try it out and make sure it's right. And then if it doesn't work out, we can just turn puberty back on. Right. And we'll just, we'll just stop taking these blockers. But isn't the D trans people who've transitioned and now they are undoing it right there, aren't they? Uh, don't they say otherwise? Yeah, and we'll <laughs> and we'll talk about They've that in the next little piece. It. But that, but it seems to be that is a misrepresentation yeah. of, and even I guess maybe common sense. You can say, well, you can't really. S- can you stop puberty and then just gotcha. turn it back on and gotcha. look at things that are oh happening? Boy. So, yeah. So there seems to be a misrepresentation. So you just turn off the puberty, then you can turn it back on. No big deal, right? Wow. So that's number two. So it's social transition, puberty blockers, and the third is cross-sex hormones. And so this generally happens at around the age of sixteen. And it, it's the administration of cross-sex hormones. The purpose is to mimic the process of puberty that would occur in the opposite sex. Right. So sure. you stop puberty, you're going to put cross-sex hormones and so generate puberty in the other direction. Estrogen for the boys, Correct. testosterone for the girls. Yep. Wow. Um, and then um, the fourth one is the big one. And, and this is kind of the textbook definition is at the age of 18, they can... Um, pursue sex reassignment surgery, which is the amputation of primary and secondary sex characteristics and plastic surgery to create new sex characteristics. So in male, a male to female surgery, you remove the testes and constructing, you tell me you're going to buy me lunch if I use the word gonads. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, that's still, that's uh, that offer is not going away. I just said it. So you did not. You said I'm not going to use it in the content. I know that, but you um, can't quote what I said and then count the gonads. (laughs) There you go. So, (laughs) Um, <laughs> so <laughs> surgery involves removing the testes and construction of female-looking external genitals. It may include breast enlargements if estrogen therapy was not produced satisfactory growth of breasts. Wow. So um, female to male often begins with a mastectomy, a double mastectomy. You see, that's just the removal of the breasts, uh, which is pretty horrific scarring, uh, to be yeah. frankly honest with you. Yeah. Um, the uterus, a hysterectomy, the uterus and ovaries are often removed as well. And some patients will underga- undergo a phalap- phalloplasty. 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 phalloplasty that, yeah. Yeah. This is the surgical construction of a penis, but many do not be- because the results are variable in quality and functionality. Yeah, and the, and I mentioned this D-trans movement, and I recognize that it's controversial, but um, if you're on Twitter at all, the voice of the D-trans yeah. um, community is, is um, I don't know if it's... Um, you know, I don't know if the volume is increasing or if I'm just becoming more aware of it, but there is a community of people who've experienced this treatment, you know, right. one or all of the four of these treatments yep. who are, um, who have really begun to express themselves uh, in their, uh, generally their, their expression is these things have ruined my life. Right. Yeah. Somebody ought to be intervening uh, f- for the. Uh, for the sake of saving these kids from experience what they described as their lives are ruined and biologically, emotionally, sexually, uh, they'll never they'll never be restored right. and repaired. So yeah. it's 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 agonizing to read that. And I recognize that um, you know there are some who are putting these kids through these treatments as you just described, all four of them, because they believe that this is the way to help. A child who is under distress over their gender and that the distress leads to suicide correct yeah and so there are well-meaning big-hearted compassionate people who I believe are very very concerned about gender dysphoria uh, or gender confusion and that their their idea is that these treatments lead to relief Correct. And saves the kid's life. And then on the other hand, in our culture, this voice of the D-trans movement is saying that isn't the solution and it wasn't the solution. I lived it and it's actually made my life worse. Correct. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that's the and and the the biggest. And you're right. We should have probably I forgot to include that part of, you know, the suicide prevention. Right. And the, the significantly high rate of it's around 50 or 55 percent of people who commit suicide or attempt to commit suicide who are in this, you know, gender dysphoric yeah. category of people who are having this, you know, this distress, battle, distress right? Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, everyone's trying to figure out how do you fix that, right? And like you said, um, lots of these, as we've just read through these, right, when you talk about an amputation of primary or secondary sex characteristics and plastics, right, you're like hysterectomies and double mastectomies, like those are not small deals, right? No. And I think the big thing 
the big conversation now is, like I said, the textbook definition is you di- the gender reassignment surgery shows up when they're 18, when they're an adult. But more and more research is showing that um, in addition to the puberty blockers and the cross-sex hormones, right, those are adolescent kids, they're kids, like those things are happening for kids under 18, but even the, the, these big sex reassignment surgeries are happening for kids under 18 years old, and they're doing it, um, and the question is always, are these kids fit, and can they consent to this life-altering um, p- blocking of their, their physiolo- physiolo- physiology, mm. um, but... And are there longitudinal studies to say that this actually helps reduce mm-hmm. the suicide ideations and, and solves the mental distress and anguish that their people are Yeah, are did, you, did you find, if that's the case, is this yeah. th- are these things actually relieving, uh, are they helping? Yeah, I think um, we, did, we did a lot of research and we found out that, um, in fact, that is not the case. They, they are not, they don't statistically help anybody um, figure out mm and solve this distress to the point where they're, you know, they're living a, a, and again, there's different categories of people, right? That, but in the broad strokes, again, the different opinions is that's one side, the people who say we gender, we affirm people with gender affirming care and that's how we help them. Right. The other side of the argument, um, which the people who would say that they don't actually help, um, they would obviously believe that kids can't consent to making a life altering change in the same way that they cannot, like they can't consent to a sexual relationship with someone. Right. Um, it doesn't matter how what their parents say, what a psychologist says, you can't really consent to that. Um, and there's a couple of studies that kind of show why these things don't actually work. Um, and there's a couple big ones. So the first one is that, you know, most, there's a study in Sweden, right? And Sweden is a very liberal country. They are very strongly supportive of the transgendered. And they did a 30-year um, longitudinal study of a follow-up with people who had sex reassignment surgery. So they mm. went through all four stages. Yeah. Um, and that they had um, a lifetime or a li- lifelong mental unrest. And they said 10 to 15 years after their surgical reassignment surgery, the suicide rate of those who had undergone it rose to 20 times that of their comparable peers. Oh, my goodness. So they're 20 times more likely to have a suicide ideation or kill or actually follow through with it than the people who... Um, wow. Are just generally living life. So, and this is the follow-up to a sex reassignment. Yes. Yep. It's surgery. That's right. Yep. Ten to fifteen years after they've been interviewing these people for thirty years, and wow. ten to fifteen years yeah. after they have it, they're, which the, if you speak, listen to the D trans community, right? There's a big conversation of I didn't, you know, right away it wasn't like, I didn't have massive regrets, but when you get when you're getting beyond puberty into the okay, I want to start a family, I want to have kids, I can't nurse my kids because I don't have any breasts, I can't, I had it. I had a hysterectomy, so I can't even. Uh, mm. You're looking at those things, and they're like, and they think that is layering on levels yeah. of, of psychological hurt. So yeah. it just reminded me, and, and I hope I don't throw you off here by re- bringing this up, but it just reminded me that the reason we're hearing people, important people, significant people in our culture, use the phrase "birthing person" is as a is a part of changing the language for stage one of treatment for gender affirming care, right? right? It's a part of the social transition, right. right? So the language that these important people are implementing, which is birthing person, what they mean to say is they are affirming that you may be a man, but you s- biologically, yeah. but you are embracing and, and expressing a female uh, identity or vice versa. And what we're saying is you don't have to be, this language means that you don't have to be one or the other to give birth, quote unquote, have a family. Right. Um, and so that's a part of the social transition, right? right? Yeah. So, and here's what so they're really doing. I mean, here's what, and this is some of the, the, the research that comes out is that, um, you know, when you get down to the, f- the fundamentals, what they're doing is they are affirming that, that they are saying and affirming that men can become women and women can become men. And based on that, they say your problems will be solved. Your, your distress will be solved because that is a possibility. Yes. The, the, the studies that, that we kind of looked at is, is that, and, and the, the other side of the, uh, the aisle says that is, there is, it is physically impossible because of your biology to, from, for a man to become a woman and a woman to become a man. And any premise that is presented to someone that says that that is possible is in fact setting somebody up for a lifetime of psychological harm because even if you go through all of those 
four phases and you have the gender reassignment surgery, you will never physically be a man or never physically be a woman. And so the, and this the bill of goods that's being sold to them is not, is not in fact reality. In fact, it's the opposite, right? Because you're saying that here this study uh, in Sweden that they – their rate of suicide rose twenty, 20 times. Twenty times, yeah. Which is so. Isn't this? This sounds partisan, you know. And is this a, you know, if you think in terms of politics, is, is this just sounds like some partisan, um, um, maybe the words propaganda, mm-hmm. right? That's against the trans yeah. community. Yep. And, and well, I mean, I is was actually th- shocked to, to to hear the this part that I that we we're going to talk about to discover is that actually when. You know, we follow the you follow the money, right? For all this stuff, it's yeah. like, well, what's the what's the, the what's the government care about? They care about money. And so, during the, when Obama was president in 2016, there was a request made by the uh, the trans uh, community to make reassignment surgery um, deductible on your Medicaid. You oh, can have yeah. Medicaid or Medicare pay for it. Interesting. And so, um, the Obama administration, which was kind of the centers for Medicare and Medicaid, pointed to the idea. They rejected the request. And they pointed specifically to the idea that mortality from this patient population. So they're, they're saying have the, pay for the gender reassignment surgery because it helps it, it helps the mental distress of these people who are experiencing this. And what they found is that um, there was no demonstrable benefit to the mental health of the patients who have actually gone through this gender reassignment surgery. Wow, so they, even their own research shows that they their their mental health didn't improve correct yeah so they the obama administration who is generally as you saw let me progressive, uh, progressive and yep. liberal in their ideology um uh, specific to you know human sexuality they said no we're not going to pay for this because wow. it doesn't actually ha- provide any num- any demonstrable benefit which is a big deal and they actually cite this swedish study and they said um they pointed out that the mortality from the the patient population didn't actually become apparent until Ten years after, mm. so they're saying all of these increase in suicidal ideations and actual the mor- the increased mortality rate didn't show up until ten years after, which is of critical importance when we are talking about the kids that we're trying to inter right. that the the gender affirming care that we're doing with kids because, I mean, we've been really kind of only been doing this for the last couple of years where it's kind of a big deal. It's a, and so there's no real longitudinal study what's sure. happening with kids and say well what's going to happen in ten years what's that what's the patient population and that's what people are warning they're like really? this is going to get really bad yeah we don't have any idea what it's going to do long term right so so um they in terms of someone trying to help a child who has suicidal tendencies because of this gender confusion right so this this treatment this four-step treatment it's it could possibly be said that they that they did not in fact commit suicide initially because of their gender confusion but eventually yeah eventually they kill themselves in, in this particular study that, yeah so that, that, that 20 <laughs> even 20 percent more than than regular uh than than right. the general public right. and one of the i mean if you want to get in like the really interesting pieces of it it's like when they do the research when they do longitudinal studies the the there's people who opt out and they tell you they opt out, but then there's people who just, they call them drop-offs where mm-hmm. they don't hear from them. And so they actually categorize those people as like, those are the people who just potentially committed suicide and died that they don't even know about. So the mm-hmm. drop-off rate is is relatively high because they're assuming that those people are either having suicide ideations or they've actually gone through with it. Huh. And it's 20 times more, which is like, that's a pretty shocking it's pretty number. It's a, it's a number that's shocking enough for an administration and a political ideology right. who advocates yep. for these liberties or these this affirmation care, right? Yep, that's fascinating. And I mean, when you and when you get into it, the statistically, and and you mentioned like again, we're everyone gets lumped into gender confused. There's the key, the people who have legitimate gender dysmorphia who have deep distress, distress, but then there's the other ones yeah. who are I like to wear a dress, right? I'm a boy and I like yeah. to wear a dress. But statistically, 80 to 95%, which is a big spread, but anyway, even if wherever that lands, will naturally outgrow any of their gender identity conflict. Yeah, this uh, is just what by I'm naturally. This just is what I'm seeing life. in the um, in the community, the detrans community. They're saying they recognize now that uh, if everyone would have just waited and letting this let this phase of life right. evolve, yep. they. Pr- 
probably would have naturally. They see now that they would have naturally grown right. out of it. And I mean, I think back to our episode on like, should we socialize on social media? I mean, like the alarming statistics of the mental health of yeah. this younger generation. And right. you layer that on top of some level of gender confusion, and you're like, well, you know, there's a genuine mental health crisis going on, right. and that might play out in a gender dis sure. gender confused. And then if you just let it play out, then the gender identity stuff statistically just just works itself out it, it reminds me of when you're a teenager you know think about yon this may not be true for you but i would imagine for a lot of adolescents from ages 12 to 18 isn't there couldn't it be said even on an anecdotal um like guesstimating can it isn't it obvious that most kids begin to identify with different social groups yeah right, right. you start with one then eventually you evolve to the next. Then you make the baseball team and you evolve over to the baseball team. And then eventually you're not playing baseball anymore, but you're at the, you know, you're in the, um, uh, maybe the theater or the, right. or the band and you start, so your social groups start to yeah. really kind of move. And, and, and it just seems so obvious to me that um, in those groups, you probably wouldn't do anything that's life altering to them while they're in the group. Right. Yeah. Right. Because you know that these social connections uh, evolve. Yeah, they're and temporary if, and yeah, yeah. Right. So you could just picture, um, it, but, yeah, and I don't know if this is for this episode, but you could just picture one particular tribe saying, we want to we, we wanna gather these kids in this distress and um, bring them in, they belong, and then go even further to say, hey, we want to bring relief to your mental distress and your suicidal uh, ideations and we're going to put you through this four stages and we're going to do it quick yeah. and don't tell your parents right yes. because yep. you belong you're in our tribe now yeah right yeah and i mean we would go bananas if the football team was doing that if they were um they were um i don't know what the word is if they were let's say branding the football players sure, right, with a yeah, life-altering right. branding, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm and I know that that's not a con that's not a good comparison. I mean, there's the mental health right. is involved and all that, but, but that's how I picture yeah. it, like a like on a on the surface sure. level. Yeah, and yeah. but there's a I mean there are I mean they did another study in, in a Dutch clinic and they said so we just said that eighty to ninety five percent of these kids are going to naturally work themselves out of this. Sure, but like you said, if we did something. <laughs> we don't do these life altering forever things in any of these other, generally in any of these other social circles, but statistically in a, this Dutch clinic, they said every single children that was placed on placed on puberty blockers eventually ended up having cross sex hormone treatment at around eight at wow. the age of 16. So, wow. so right. Th the point being is that you start these things. You don't just let it play out in the 80, 95% figure it out. You, the, the, the second you have this intervention, it is a, you know, that 80 to 95% number goes away. They're, they're in it. They're in it for the rest of their lives, yeah. potentially to the point where they detrans. Oh, boy. But when we think of, there's a, I mean, there's a, I mean, these are like the numbers and the statistics, but even I think the other side of the argument just kind of points to like the commonsensical types of things. And we're parents, right? So we, we kind of look at these, and there's an author named Abigail Schreier. She was a journalist, and she wrote the book Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our, Our Daughters. And she has a, she just has a little quote that kind of summarizes like the the common sense approach hmm. um, and she just she says this she goes for those of you who have ever been an adolescent or attempted the toe curling hair whitening endeavor of raising one she says hold your laughter resist the urge to squeal out loud at the preposterous notion that a teenager in any sense knows who she is with the level of certainty sufficient to entrust her with life-altering decisions that makes so much sense to me but there it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense right. in the and she, yeah. culture's and she's talking about teenagers. And, yeah. and this, like you said, this goes all the way down to like age three, four, five. And I have a three and a half year old daughter. And there's not an ounce of sense in her little brain because she wants to be Anna and Elsa. She doesn't like her hair. Like she keeps, she wants long hair. Her hair's not growing. But she's like, I don't like my hair. I hate my hair. And we're like, no, God gave you beautiful hair. No, I don't like it. You know, if we're like, no, you know what, honey? You're right. Hair transplant. You're right. Let's cut your hair off or we'll get you a hair transplant or wear this wig. Right. That she wants, we bought her, made the mistake of buying her a wig, that like a Rapunzel wig, and she wants to wear it all the time. But we're like, no, this is a problem. Like, she has this idea that her hair is terrible, but she wants long hair. Oh. We're not affirming right, right. this crazy idea in her little brain. 
Um, because you instinctively know at this age and stage, correct. they don't know what's best for yep. them, right? And and I think of it on a teenage level, if I would have let, and I'm not sure which of my teenagers would, would be most, I think, fall into this, um, but at some phase, let me let me say it this way, at some phase, I think it's true, most teenagers don't feel like going to school. Right. Yeah. Right. Can you imagine l- affirming a teenager's distress over school by just saying, well, I affirm your desire not to go to school. Yep. Right. And why don't we do that? Because we know th- the best thing for that child yep. is to get up and go to school. There's all social services around getting your kid to school and asking mom and dad, why aren't you getting school? There's yeah. absentee. Right. But even like. But somehow, th- somehow these kids, at these adolescents are right. able to make life-altering decisions uh, yep. you know i mean you could you could tell uh, you and i even having this tone in our conversation yes it's distressing yeah that the kids would be affirmed to make these life-altering decisions on their own in some cases right i, I think uh i don't know this i shouldn't even say this because i don't know for sure but it it seems like i've come across in some cases um in spite of well it's the, even the the bill from florida right there there are um teachers administrators uh, child care, medical professionals, whatever, who are helping these teenagers make these decisions separate from, independent from their right. parents right. Yep. with their with their consent, as if they themselves know better than right. than these parents you can because the parents yeah. are insensitive yeah. or because they uh, don't understand yeah. them. Or California just passed a law that says you can go, you can your child can go to California and get gender affirming care. So all the things we talked about, and they don't have to tell the parents. And they the state of California. Um, reserves the right to n- to keep that child in child protective services because their parents do not affirm it. So you can literally take your, and if you find yourself in California, they'll, they can take your child away right. if you do not affirm their preferred gender identity. Yeah, I saw a dad who's being sued by his children because he won't use their pronouns. And, right. and did we mention this in one of our episodes that his speech is considered violence right. against his children? Yep. So, and, uh, and yeah, and it's a, I mean, we've it's far it's out. Yeah, it's, and, and we've, we used a couple of examples of like anecdotal, but even when you think to the clinical stuff, right? There's a perfect example and analogy that was a big deal when I was growing up, and specifically with 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 young teenage females, right? Yeah. And it's the idea of bulimia and anorexia, Ooh. right? The the clinical diagnosis of bulimia, bulimia and anorexia is the disconnection between my physical body, the fact that, and my mind, where my mind tells me that I'm overweight and I'm over and I'm right. obese and I'm going to starve myself. Or I'm going to throw up my food right. because I don't because I don't want to gain weight to the point where everyone can clearly see that this that people are dying severe anorexia and yeah. bulimia they're dying they're doing damage to their esophagus they're they're just skin and bones and at no point in my recollection did anybody ever say the best treatment is to affirm their bulimia or anorexia and right. say you know what you are actually right you're uh, you're identifying as an overweight person yeah, and you're you are obese fat. you are fat let's uh, let let me help you throw up your food and we say that like that's a like if you're listening you're like of course that's absurd we're not going to help you throw your food yeah, up yeah so you're saying you can't see the difference yeah i mean I, affirming i'm affirming that yeah. you can't see any difference yeah. between affirming that right. and affirming we these. take we take massive steps there's lots of ma- organizations that their whole lives oh. are dedicated to helping women and mainly women but it, it affect, afflicts men too to emerge from that and to help them change their mindset and to yeah because they're treating it as if their mind is broke correct yeah yeah they, the way that they perceive their own body is broken yep yeah and and also i noticed that nobody nobody who cares for that child is saying your bulimic your anorexic body is beautiful correct and the reason is cuz they know that not only is it not beautiful it's it's um they're killing themselves that's right yeah they're doing they irreversible the damage to their body exactly and yeah. no one says, "Hey, don't tell your parents. Right. You know, don't tell your parents that we're, you know, you're, you can be bulimic here, but you just be, uh, you know, yeah. you eat your food normally over or, there." Or, in fact, bring your lunch to us, and we'll throw it that's out right. for you. Yeah, it's so that sounds like a lot of common sense. You know, I like that illustration. That seems to really resonate. Um, it seems to really resonate in terms of what really is caring for somebody who is in this kind of distress. Yeah, and really, ultimately. The, the why it matters to us as Christians is, again, we're trying to salt the earth, and we're we're trying to figure out how, in the midst of this, in the midst of all these different ideas of how do you love or care for kids like this, um, and from a charitable uh, starting point and assuming right. positive intent, 
how do we live lovingly while holding on to what we would perceive as the truth of the gospel? And we know that not all Christians would identify with the gender binary and stuff, right. but um, that's kind of the position we hold. But but how do we live lovingly and care for these students, care for the families, care for the be teachers and school administrators right. and counselors, and then also be, you know, public you know, people who are participating in a pluralistic society and advocating for certain right. you know, legislation and stuff. I mean, that's the question. That's why it matters to and us. And my so. and, and honestly, I do sense the tension that a school administrator, a school counselor, and a school teacher would have seeing these people in their classrooms every day. I really would. Sure. And I also identify with the um, desire that the young people, my kids and their generation, have to be compassionate sure. with these uh, kids, because they know them, they're their friends. Yeah, they're good people they know. Yeah, and I'm, and I, and I think that's a, that is um, obviously that's that's important for the Christian community, um, which is probably why it's so it's such a, it's such a, like nervy thing to yeah. talk about. You're like, I want I want to care and love for these people, and I want to like I want I want them to know Jesus and know that they're beautifully yeah. made and wonderfully made and unique. Um, but then also it's like... Yeah, uh, does that mean affirming the four yeah, stages? Yep, do exactly, you say, hey, yep. let me go with you to all these four yep, stages that, of it, treatment? It'd be easy if we're just like gender binary, you're all sinners, right. you're all going to hell, you know, screw Ooh, you, right? Yeah, um, that, is so. some, that is the approach of some so-called churches, obviously. Right, but so. um, Well, how, how do we... I think, um, you know, when you look at it from the how do we um, salt the earth, right? What is the Christian worldview on this? And... One of the first things that comes to my mind, you know, and, and, and I'm not really going to elaborate on this, is that Jesus said, let the children come to me. He, I think I think the starting point for us is to understand or to, or, or to somehow believe that if these people meet Jesus, their life changes. No matter what age, young, adolescent, you know, or young adult, Jesus changes, transforms lives, and... There's a reason why Jesus wanted the disciples to let the kids come to him. So uh, I would start there, that the sooner that these kids meet the real Jesus personally, the sooner they get on the path to healing. Um, so that's that's probably where, where I would start. Um, and also when you think about how should a Christian understand uh, a person or how should they view or or. or um, interpret what someone's experiencing when they suffer from gender dysphoria, uh, it's important to recognize that that the Bible, as God reveals himself and what he intended, right? We talk about this all the time when in our in our church community. We talk about by design, right? By design, uh, in the Christian worldview, biblically, God made two separate and distinct genders, right. two genders and sexes that are consistent with each other, and that he says many, many times God made them man and woman, um, man and woman, right? Male and female, he made them. So um, that is not fluid. Those genders, sexes are not on a spectrum or a continuum. So um, does that, if someone is on a continuum, is someone in on a a spectrum, and if there's fluidity between those genders, someone has to say, if you believe that, you have to simultaneously say the Bible um, is irrelevant, is in error, sure. doesn't affirm that. Um, uh, and so we cannot remake ourselves according to our own self-will, even our own deepest perceptions. And uh, it doesn't matter. No amount of suppression or repression can deny what is true of our bodies, even if mentally, emotionally, we're in distress over it. Sure. Right? So in other words, and it's always funny to me too when I, hear people talk about how Christians are science deniers, and I always, you know, I, I, I sarcastically joked about it earlier, um, they must mean, they must, they must not mean physiology or, right, ana- yeah. or anatomy, right? right? Yep. Because somehow, and I recognize that there's, they have explanations for this, that, that that body science is not a science, you know? Um, so, um, suppressing what we know to be true doesn't, produce the joy that we desire and I think the statistics that you referred to kind of kind of uh, hash that out in detail so whatever the state of an individual's self-perception or feelings the deliberate kind of undermining of healthy embodiment cannot yield lasting happiness it's Mm -hmm. it's not through um, 
surgery that someone suddenly discovers joy and happiness. I mean, right. there's something else happening and something else going on. And this is one reason transgender individuals who transition continue to report high rates of anxiety, depression, and ultimately within 10 to 15 years, uh, suicide. Right. And you'd think that you would think that someone who's gone through it would even have a vested interest of saying, no, yeah, it's working really well. But, you know, the fact that they would self-report, no, it's going poorly. Yeah. Is, that means it's, it's actually really bad. Right. So, yeah. Right. And so I think what this means is that in, in the biblical worldview, we recognize that depravity, original sin, the brokenness is real. Our minds and bodies are broken. Our desires, I mean, we have perceptions of ourselves that are not uh, well, that are unhealthy. Um, our bodies that are withering towards the grave are broken. And this is a, that's because creation has been ravaged by sin and, right. and, and, and depravity. So, uh, and then, then there's the good news for people who suffer dysphoria, as for each one of us, is that these broken bodies live all of us live in need of redemption and renewal which the biblical worldview says is coming it, it sure. has begun now right god's kingdom has kind of crept in and peaked in and broken in in different ways so we can experience healing now but ultimately all things uh, are promised to be made new in the end so we're in this transition period out of sin and brokenness we see some breakthroughs and some healings and some hope uh, and ultimately, we're going to see our bodies renewed. So it's not surprising to me that there's distress over someone's perception of their body because mm -hmm. in our minds, just like someone who perceives that their body is overweight and here they have anorexia, there's a brokenness there that, that fits sure. in the Christian worldview, yep, yep. which is original sin and brokenness. And, um, and Christianity doesn't guarantee total relief in this life, but does, does promise uh, a guaranteed future renewal and resurrection from our broken desires, perceptions, and and um, and bodies that are subject to decay and death. Right. So, um, so just because we believe in the in the binary and sex and gender are equivalent doesn't mean that that disconnect doesn't exist. Exactly, and we can't just walk around thinking no, it's just a willful decision it, to disconnect. Those exactly, things. that's yeah. a great way to put it. Exactly. So, we recognize that this distress is real. We recognize that kids who are feeling this are feeling the realness of, uh, of of a real distress um, in their mind as it relates to the way they perceive their own body. So, um, um, you know, a person may never feel or feel like they fully arrived at peace, uh, but there is a remaking that occurs when a kid is allowed to come to Jesus and meet Jesus and know Jesus. And the specifics of that, I think, would require another episode. But I mean, generally, as a Christian, to salt the earth, um, we have to we have to know how to treat someone who is suffering from gender dysphoria. So, um, if we acknowledge that, w first of all, we affirm that there's two separate genders. Right. We affirm biblically that there isn't a fluid continuum going back and forth. Right. And and also we affirm that there is distress and confusion and dysmorphia over that. Uh, some some young adolescents or, sure. or children's um, experience with their own body. Um, so how do we how do we treat them when they're suffering like that? Uh, I, I mean, I think that it's important for us to approach what they're dealing with like we would approach an emotional hmm. or mental illness. Sure. And you know, you just think to yourself, how do we treat anyone suffering from any condition, right? If they've got schizophrenia, yeah. they are, they belong, they're yeah. included, they're loved, they get grace from a Christian, compassion. Yeah. Um, and so I don't, I don't, I would not understand a church community or a Christian who um, somehow, his stiff arm, is that, a, is that just a sports analogy? Like, well. give someone the cold shoulder yeah I, I don't understand arms length keep them away yes yeah. yes I, I can't I can't accept that even if somebody is um, kind of aggressively uh, we'll say overtly in your face about it uh, I think it's important that from the Christian worldview uh, we approach that person like we would someone who's overtly schizophrenic sure yeah I do and now if 
you know, does that make me a terrible church leader because I believe that people who are suffering with gender confusion have a mental illness? I think in the view of our culture, probably, yes, they would say that's yeah. a terrible thing to say. Yeah. But I actually think that's the, you know, I, I think that's more helpful. Uh, just like I would say somebody who has anorexia has a massive mental, emotional disorder that needs to be addressed in right. that category yeah. rather than saying that, that person needs to be affirmed. We can help them hide and get rid of their food and then tell them how beautiful their body is. Right. Yeah. I don't think that's loving at all. Right. Yep. Um, and that's one of the key principles I think that's worth leaving, uh, uh, kind of applying to this topic, which is love that enables isn't love at all. Right. That's always the big question of how do you, do you, how do you affirm it? And what is it? I mean, do you affirm it? Because if you do, right, are you, exactly. like you said, are you enabling that, that love? And, you know, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think about, when I used to watch that show Intervention, you know, and I, yeah. and almost every time, on almost every episode, there is someone who is addicted, whose life is out of control. They're on the verge of dying. And in almost every episode, there's somebody behind the scenes who enabling that behavior. Yeah, who, uh, it's sure. a mom yeah. and a grandma who cannot even consider cutting off the money mm -hmm. or cutting off the, the apartment rent, you know? Um, and, and so, Again, I think that's the same as if you enable an anorexic and affirm how beautiful and healthy they look, um, I don't think that's love at all. Uh, I think that love, biblical love, is, is when someone is in distress, um, it's, it's recognizing how unhelpful and unloving it is to affirm something that's killing them. Sure. Yep. Another principle that I think is key is speaking the truth by denunciating. Let me start again. Another principle is this. Speaking the truth by denouncing lies may help you politically. It may help you on a platform um, that you've got where you have to speak, blog, YouTube channel, or whatever. It may help you politically or on your platform, but speaking the truth in love helps interpersonally. Mm, yeah. If you if you are trying to make progress in loving people, real people in your life, mm -hmm. at your school, in your classroom, on your team, then... I think it makes way more sense to love someone, t speak the truth in love interpersonally than it does to, to speak the truth by denouncing the lies that sure. uh, our culture is telling. It's very, very tense and risky, right? And I think you have to choose your approach with caution. Sure. Yeah, and a lot of people might say, Pastor, why don't you address this more and hit this hard from the platform? And why don't we confront some of these things that are so bold-faced lies that have emerged in our politics or in our policies or in our culture? And the reason is because someone's listening. Mm -hmm. Someone's listening to our words, and they're hearing our tone and our attitude, uh, and they're personalizing it. Right. And yeah. I think that interpersonally, we speak the truth in love. You build trust. You listen. You care. You, you, you yeah. affirm that you care for them. And over time, the moment presents itself where you say, now, now here's some really difficult things to hear that I believe are the truth that may be helpful to you, but they're hard to hear. I hope you trust where I'm coming right. from. And you're, you are more concerned about you know, dealing with the identity that I don't need God or I can do it myself or I'm, and I'm safe as opposed to the identity of I am a man in a woman's body. So th exactly. there's a priority of, mis, of, mis, of lies that you're trying to help sort out in exactly. someone's life and the, the, the priority is the fact that they need the good news of Jesus because or else they're separated from God right, right. and then the other stuff becomes the I totally agree that's yeah. uh, such a great way to put it and and I just think that if if your idea of speaking the truth includes denouncing lies interpersonally it's not going to help you if that's what you're starting with right. with these with, with, with someone who's suffering like this and walking alongside somebody by the way with compassion Brace yourself because it may require years of time and patience, especially if you're a parent of somebody who is suffering or a sibling, teammate, friend, classmate that you expect to be a part of their life. When you walk alongside somebody, it, 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 that's what's going to be required to express long-term mm -hmm. compassion. And I think the world needs Christians who will walk alongside these individuals in every season. Every time they have a high or a low or they feel defeated or they feel sick, they feel vulnerable— um, encouraging them toward greater faith and knowing Jesus and being loved by Jesus and belonging to Jesus. And, and really, it's only Christians who are humble enough to recognize their own brokenness that are going to ever be right. willing to yeah, do right. that. Exactly. Or, or even those who recognize their own brokenness who are capable of walking with people through the struggles that 
seem so very different from their own and and they are different from their own struggles struggles which means you should expect some hard conversations and it this will generate if you know and care and you have long-term compassion with somebody though it may bring new conversations and experiences that many of us will not understand um if you are to care for those with gender dysphoria means walking with each precious soul through what could be years of psychological valleys mm-hmm. as you bear one another's burdens. Um, and, and, you know, one hard conversation is what do you do with the whole pronoun question? Sure. You know, are you going <laughs> to, uh, these are the pronouns that I desire to be called by. And, and that brings up attention. How do you love somebody who is demanding or asking or inviting you to refer to them in a way that goes against the grain of what you believe to be true by right. design, right? And so, uh, and your and here's your question: Am I going to accept them as they ask to be accepted, or in your mind you're thinking, Am I going to enable their gender dysphoria, right. their yep. mental illness, yep. this, this right? distorted reality in which exactly. they're living? Yep. Exactly. So if you're going to accept them, you're saying to yourself, I'll use your pronouns because I accept you as you are. As you want to be loved and Mm -hmm. known, that's how I'm going to love and know you. And I'm not going to protest your expressed identity. Right. Right. So that's how someone decides to to Mm -hmm. um, maybe what they do in terms of accepting. And then on the other hand, you think, well, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to enable them. I remember and I mentioned this in one episode. I remember when my dad was struggling with the dementia portion of Parkinson's disease, and we were advised by the um, by the staff there that it it wasn't helpful to allow your dad's schizophrenia, actually it was paranoia, um, the medical staff avoided us to avoid playing along right. with his hallucinations. And right. here's what they basically said. We prefer that you insist on our version of reality, sure. not his. Right that that's the best way to care for him. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a long-term caring, compassionate relationship with somebody who's suffering this gender confusion and gender dysmor- dys- dysphoria, you, you're going to navigate the tension between am I going to accept them as they expect, they ask to be accepted, right. or am I going to, en- or will, in my mind, is that enabling right. them? And I think that over time, the only way to navigate that is to build trust, build respect. And I would say, that if you want to know what I think on those hard that hard conversation between affirming pronouns or not, I think it's case by case. Right. I think that there are different circumstances and conditions by which somebody could reasonably accept someone's uh, quote unquote pronouns, mm-hmm. and I think there are other circumstances where you've built up trust and respect and rapport, and over time you've you've gained uh, you've won somebody over to where you could have a truth and love conversation as to what yeah. what your um what yeah. your what you're hoping is better for them than right. what they're asking and, and then you layer on that with the kids stuff you're like well how do I it's a whole nother level of complexity right. with, with kids and adolescents you're like well how do I do that or even how do I tell my kids my children to interact with other children they yeah. meet who have that sounds like pronouns. a good episode. That sounds like a maybe we'll do another one on that. That would be fascinating yeah. if this becomes more of a thing where everybody has to either express their pronouns or or call somebody by their own preferred pronouns. I mean, that might be a whole separate, whole yeah. separate. But so, um, salting the earth, compassion, get them to Jesus, um, uh, speak the truth in love, and be careful that love that enables is not love at all. And um, I think that. Um, there's there's so many different angles that you could approach this, but eventually we rest knowing that the brokenness of our world will one day be renewed right. for those who belong to Jesus. Yep. And get out of that mainstream media to you know mm. stop lobbing bombs at each other. And this is a you know yeah. it's not necessarily a culture war thing. It's a we're trying to figure out how do we salt the earth with and the good news, right? Yeah. And also that reminds me, Yon, that if you're listening to the podcast, I'm assuming that you want to adopt a biblical worldview. Just just be alert that the worldview, that you're immersed in the culture's worldview. Right. You have to actually work towards, I mean, one of the ways you're working toward is listening to our podcast, but you have to actually swim upstream to develop a different worldview, a yep. biblical worldview, a Christian worldview, because we're immersed, we're swimming downstream right. in, the, in, the, in the secular worldview, yep. a godless worldview, which um, in large part, in some ways, has kind of hijacked our own values right. and distorted them in some cases or they've mm-hmm. renamed them, you know, they've renamed them um, diversity. 
yeah, you know, right, or exactly. inclusion, inclusion or equity, yeah. and you're like, well, wait, that's that's our values, right. and they're just a version of what yeah. what we've been given by our own faith. So, and it's okay if you're if you're totally comfortable, you're probably maybe not <laughs> not digging into it deep Got enough. And sand. if you're just full of anxiety and like it's all you view the world through, yeah. you're probably a little bit too far into the Good point. culture war conflict. So Are you preaching to the choir here? Uh, you? No, well, you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Personal preferences. Yeah, let's do personal preferences. Real quick, you want brownies? Ooh. Do you like brownies? This is a food one. Okay. No, not related at all to our conversation. Do you, want, do you like brownies, cake, or cookies? Is that uh, brownie cake okay, or cookies? Okay, so can, you, can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. Point of order? Point of order. <laughs> clarifying question. Um, are these really, really good versions? Are these the best versions of a brownie cake and a cookie? Yes, the best versions, whatever because you would define as the best version. Because generic cake and generic brownie, I don't care for. Mm. Same reason, a little dry. Um, you know, cupcake or cake, typically not um, really appetizing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they're all the best version of brownie, cake, and cookie, I would probably go with cookie. Hmm. Um, hmm. And it has to do with probably this is the primary reason. I like what a cookie brings in the texture. I like the crunch and the chew, and I like the, um, I just like that the different aspects that go into enjoying a cookie or that what comes out of a cookie, hmm. rather than um, some of the very, in my opinion, the brownie and the cake that kind of have very very similar, um, less I should say. Um, oh man, I was just gonna say dynamics. Less um, wow, you really less texture, <laughs> less texture. Really thought about so that. a really really good cookie I would choose over a really really good cake or a really really good brownie. What about you? Is it that simple? Probably for cake. You? Yeah. Cake. Yeah. I don't know a lot of cake people. I don't think you. I love cake. Really? Uh, yeah, I like cookies too. But general yeah. wedding cake, you're big fan of? I mean, I li- I like chocolate, so I just oh, like, gotcha. I like chocolate stuff and. Even chocolate ice cream, a little yellow cake. Mm. Yeah. Oh, how about have you come across that Costco um, cake, multi-layer cake with a cheesecake frosting in yeah. it? Yeah. Ooh. Good. The ultimate good. cake from Wegmans. Is oh yeah. Like Fifteen dollars a slice. But yeah. It's good, but that is good. There you go. What's your favorite? Cookies, cake, brownies. Poor brownies. If you like brownies, oh. comment like say I love brownies or something like that. Yeah. But rate us, share us. Do yeah. Don't let brownies feel left out. Bye. Okay. Um, thanks for listening and we will catch you next time. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.